If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. This is another of our popular Listener's Choice interviews, which we're playing over the weekend. We've chosen the most popular interviews for you to select the Listener's Choice winner. If you're not sure how the Listener's Choice competition works, have a look at horsechats.com slash choice for the rules and the leaderboard. If you have the same vision as International Horse College, which is to have a world where people safely appreciate, respect and enjoy their horses, and the horses appreciate, respect and enjoy their people, then have a look at their website, internationalhorsecollege.com, registered training organisation 31352. Hello everyone. Today I'd like to introduce you to, we're very excited to have Vicky Roycroft on the phone. Now Vicky Roycroft has not only ridden in three Olympic Games, she's also coached in three Olympic Games. So Vicky, I'd like to go forward and ask you a few things about horses. We're going to start off with what your favourite quote is. Oh, look, there's a lot of quotes. I mean, it's 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 a general philosophy. I mean, it's really, but I guess the the biggest one is that you never stop learning. Mm-hmm. You, you know, I've worked a lot with um, George Morris, who was really, you know, one of my mentors. And he, even at 78, or he might even be 79 now, he's still, his passion is, is extraordinary. And he still is excited when he feels he's learned something new or a new coaching technique or a new way of doing things. And I just find that extraordinary. Mm-hmm. And that's how I'd like to be as, you know, the same. You know, you, you never you never know everything. Now, Vicky, thinking you've had a lifetime of horses. I mean, it just astounds me what you've done. But going back, what's your very first memory of horses? You know, I was a bit of a late starter because uh, my mother was very keen on riding, and I had an older brother and sister, and they were both keen. But I wasn't as a, as a small child. I used to hate being dragged along to the horse shows. <laughs> and I was, oh, okay, it was, and yet they both gave up. My sister got married to an unhorsey bloke, and um, my brother went to university. And I sort of didn't get keen till I was about thirteen. But I was the mug who kept going, and here I am. Oh wow! Quite wow. an advanced year. Okay. Age, still doing it. Yeah. Yeah, and so you didn't like going to the competitions. Did you have a horse, or tell me about your first horse? You know, it was the main focus was my older brother and sister because, you know, in those days there weren't. Yeah, it, it, there's too much now in these days to try and achieve so much so young. You know, this is a wonderful sport, and that you can do it for a very long time. Your career span can be enormously long when you look at someone like Ian Miller, who's still you know, competing successful and he's close to 70. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my esteemed father-in-law, he rode in his last Olympics when he was 61. So, I mean, it's not something you have to excel at when you're in your teens. So, you know, this is the thing. So I was never sort of really pushed as a child by any means. And it was only because I developed my own enthusiasm for it. And that's sort of what you've got to have, I think, at the end of the day, if you want to stay in the sport and be successful is is an innate passion. Not that I'm against people who just want their kids to have, um, you know, a good sport to enjoy, 
in their teen years because, as I say, horses are wonderful. They teach you responsibility. They keep them off the streets. Uh, you, you know, that sort of thing. There's, there's nothing better. So, I mean, that's two different streams of riding. It's, the, you know, the people who might want to make a career of it and the ones who want to, you know, enjoy it as an amateur sportsman. It's the thing. But the main thing is enjoying it mm-hmm. and getting something out of it, not this, this terrible pressure I see on a lot of uh, kids nowadays. So tell me then, you know, because you've sort of had a parent who rode and from a, that family, what advice would you give to parents of younger children now? You know, the parents are thinking that they might have a career with horses or actually even when they're first starting, you know, because you said that you didn't really develop until you were 13. Parents of younger children, what advice would you give them? Look, they've got to enjoy it. And I think from where I'm coming from, they've got to do a bit of everything. You know, they, they shouldn't specialise. You know, these parents come and, oh, you know, my kid wants to be a show jumping rider. Well, they've got to go and do a bit of hacking is good for their discipline and position, a bit of, you know, just bareback riding, sporting, do a bit of everything when they're a kid. To, You know, again, the Roycroft family, they used to, as kids, they used to ride the school on ponies bareback and stuff like that because mm-hmm. that's what made them very good riders. I know it's a little hard harder nowadays to do that sort of stuff but it's still more about getting out and trying to do as much as possible before you start to specialize and because I say you can be in the sport an awful long time yeah yeah and you can go from one discipline within the sport if you don't specialize at an early age it allows for a little bit more of a fluid transition if you go from specializing in one area to then going and specializing in another area at a later stage Oh, absolutely. As I say, I feel blessed that I was able to do a, a lot of stuff as a kid because it was kind of fun. I mean, yes, in the end, specialised in the show jumping because that seemed to be more the forte, but I love the eventing and I love doing dressage. So, yeah, I, I, love, <laughs> I love horse riding. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then using one discipline to correct the other, you know, to correct the horse who might be competing in the other discipline. Oh, well, I mean, as, as I keep emphasising to my students, 90% of jumping is dressage. Mm-hmm. It's all mm-hmm. getting one fence to the other. So that's, and that's dressage. Yeah. You know, that's getting the horse in a good balance, good frame, good distance. Yeah. You know, that's all about education on the flat. Mm. Vicky, I want you to think back to a time when you didn't have the knowledge and expertise that you have now. Has there ever been a time that you look back and go, oh, if only I knew now, you know, then – that you could go back and change something, whether you're working with a horse or a student or anything at all? Oh, look, sure. There's not too many things in life that I regret, quite honestly. But, I mean, I didn't know anything as a teenager. My, I mean, my mother did her best. She sort of employed different coaches and some were good, some were bad. And But it was really only until I had my connection with the Roycroft family that I really realised how much I didn't know, you know, and as I say, the, the sheer joy of working with a, a genius, and he was a genius, mm-hmm. Bill Roycroft yep. and Wayne, and was just it was just such an eye-opener. And then the first time I travelled overseas was, was with Wayne in 1976 when he was in the Olympic team for Montreal, mm-hmm. and it was just such an eye-opener with the show jumping because Wayne always said to me, he said, look, you've got a great eye, but you've got no idea how to ride a correct distance. And I didn't know <laughs> And I'm talking about I was 21 or 22, but that was the, and gosh, you don't listen to your husband anyway. <laughs> um, but he, he sort of kept saying that I didn't quite believe him. It was only when in that first trip and I sort of saw the amazing riders at the Olympics and prior to the Olympics that I realised, gosh, yeah, mm. what he's saying is right. <laughs> mm, mm. 
Oh, there's lots. There's, that's one of the examples. Yep, yep. No, keep going. If you've got another example, that's great as well, you know. Yeah. Just generally, you know, so much of this is, you know, trial and error in this sport. But the big thing that people have got to realise is that so many of the natural reactions in our sport, like, for instance, snow skiing is another sport, are the wrong reactions. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to learn about the use of your aids, especially your legs. And the horse is going to spend his life saying, no, I don't want you to use my legs. I think we can do it. You know, so it, it's a lot of that acquiring of the correct ways of doing things and the habits. that, And it takes a little while. It doesn't happen overnight. Thank goodness. Because, yep. as, as I say, the nature of the sport is that we get to spend a long time in it. But you still learn. Mm-hmm. You know, there's so much to learn. So if we're thinking about someone who's, interested in having a career with horses what sort of advice would you give them and their parents because sometimes they might still be at school or just left school but still fairly heavily influenced by their parents who may be financially supporting them what advice would you give to a potential top level rider and their parents Ah, don't expect to be a millionaire (laughs) it's uh, especially in this country it's not a sport that is high profile as we're well aware you know, I wouldn't change a thing. I've got no desire to be a multimillionaire. So, you know, I love nothing more than being on my property and looking after my property and working with my horses and competing at the level that I do now. But it's, it's, and if that's your passion, yes, of course you follow it and follow your dreams. Uh, again, I've been fortunate enough to, yeah, go to Olympics, go overseas, do all these wonderful things in my sport, but it's never made me huge amounts of money. So it sort of depends on really what you want to do at the end of the day. There is a lot of money coming into the sport in Europe and it's interesting watching the evolution like that. But again, it goes back to, and like I said to people, what do you want in your CV at the end of your life? Do you want to feel that you've gone to Olympics, won a medal or mm-hmm. become a millionaire because you've been lucky enough to be on the Global Champions Tour? And do you know, it, it really depends how, how you want to be able to look back in your life and what you might have achieved and what's, what's there on your CV. Okay. Okay. All right. I'm just thinking about you, you know, saying in in 76 when you went over to Montreal and it opened your eyes because you're exposed to, I suppose, a higher level of rider than you were at that time. You know, how would you recommend them about being exposed to a higher level of riders or a higher level of coaches and what they're currently currently using? Oh, look, there's there's no doubt at some point in any rider's career, whether they're dressage, show jumping or eventing, they need to go to Europe, which is the mecca, obviously, for show jumping and dressage. You know, eventing is still very strong here. Mm-hmm. But for those other two disciplines, at some point, people need to go to Europe and see how the best do it and get the experience of that. In saying that, you know, to rush off to Europe at an early age when they're not ready, you know, there's there's a solid apprenticeship that can be done mm-hmm. in this country and we do have a very high level of coaches and and a good system and luckily a system whereby it's not so expensive to do the sport. Okay. But the timing of it is crucial because we lose a lot of people who just sort of disappear in some of the systems over there and find it all too much. They've sort of, yeah, the, the time, you've got to be guided and mentored, I think, from this part of the world. But it, uh, yeah, that's a very big topic. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we can ask you back about that as well another time. That would be great. All right. Look, you talked about the influence that George Morris has had in your life, and I'm sure a lot of other show jumpers can go back to George Morris as well. You know, he's a great, great coach, great name. But I want you to think back about a horse who was a great influence in your life. 
Look, they, they all have, and I've been so lucky to have the most amazing horses all my life, you know, from the early days when I was a junior. In those days, it was the juniors rode pony in Galloway. So mm-hmm. you had some wonderful ponies, and a pony called Rockabye, a pony called Bindi, which actually belonged to Kevin Bacon. And then after that, we uh, the most amazing horse called Harvest Time, which was an, an off-the-track thoroughbred that my mother was given at a cocktail party by Tommy Smith <laughs> because he was a, a totally useless racehorse. And Tommy said, I don't know what to do with this thing. And my mum said, I'll have him. And so she acquired this two gangly two-year-old that became the most wonderful horse for both my brother, my older brother, my sister, and then me as my first senior horse, and and as I say, in those days, I did I knew nothing. <laughs> and this wonderful horse just carted me around some huge, huge tracks. He was just a superstar. Hmm. He was the first one. And then there's the, look, there's been so many after that. But I guess the the standout horse really for me is again another off the track thoroughbred called Apache that I bought as a four year old who again had really done nothing and produced him to Grand Prix and. In 1987, we went to – well, he won the Leaf World Cup Final League here and we went to Europe and he was nothing ninth or tenth in the World Cup Finals and he won the Grand Prix of Rome, which is a five-star event and still one of the most coveted trophies in the show jumping world. And um, he was ranked one of the top ten jumpers in the world that year. Mm-hmm. So that that was probably the standout horse. And from memory, he wasn't very big, was he? What what height was he? Ah, uh, fifteen three on yeah. his debut. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So fifteen. Wayne killed me when I brought him home because it was, <laughs> and it's. Uh, I'll just digress a little bit because it's an interesting story because I I bought him as a result of going to a clinic in Cow and the guy who ran this clinic sort of nagged me about this horse he had and uh, you know when I'm teaching I I get very focused and sort of having something else to do is a bit distracting and anyway long story short he eventually got me to look at this horse and I was I had a ride and I was quite impressed by his color because he was liver chestnut and one of the former horses I'd had prior to him was a horse called Valiant Megs another thoroughbred liver chestnut wonderful horse and uh, so what a cute horse so I've said to him oh, you know, would, would he be for sale? He's quite cute. And he went, oh, look, I don't think the people want to sell him. So, okay, went home and forgot about him. Forgot about him, <laughs> right? Yeah. He's rung, up, rung me up this guy and said, oh, that horse is, the owners have decided to sell him. He's for, uh, he's for sale. I went, oh, I'm thinking, what horse? I could not find <laughs> the horse at all. So there you go. You don't pick him. So um, I'm saying to him, oh, okay, well, what does he want? He said, oh, look, they'll take $500. And uh, there's a truck coming up from Cara to Bankstown. It would be $50 for transport. And I thought, it's not much money. Must have liked the horse. I said, <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll put a check in the mail, which I did. Went to go and pick this horse up. And I'd, what I'd forgotten, yeah, was how small he was. Because <laughs> as a four-year-old then rising five, he was about 15, one or two. He was tiny. And when he came off this truck from Cara and I was there with my flight to pick him up my eyes just dropped and I was like and all I could think on my trip home was Wayne my husband he, he's going to he sees this thing which he nearly did he said what on earth is this rabbit you've got so but it, it turned out to be one of the best horses I ever had so there you go <laughs> great 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 story all right. Now, I want you to think, and I'm sure you've had many proud moments, you know, not just as a rider, but also as a coach, a competitor, but just the moments that you think, um, I'm really proud. Do you know something that you've achieved, which may be a really big achievement, maybe a small achievement? If you can tell us about that day, just think your proudest moment. 
Uh, look, it's a toss-up between obviously winning the Grand Prix in Rome was something amazing because that's the Piazza di Siena is right in the middle of the Villa Borghese Gardens in Rome and there's 50,000 people there on the last day and, and they'd really taken Apache to their hearts, the, the Italian yep. crowd, because, you know, it was this tiny little and that was the year of the huge, big warm bloods. It was only just starting to change as in the jumping material was getting lighter you know and more delicate mm-hmm. so it did suit the horses with more blood and the actual jump off and I've still got the video somewhere of the jump off between me and the, the horse that had won the previous year who was this giant warm blood and you know he 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 went in the ring and then we swapped over and you could see my tiny little horse trotting in the ring and the crowd crazy <laughs> And I knew as soon as the end of the jump off because I could see the clock that I'd won the class. I mean, that was that, that was extraordinary. Well, <laughs> that's yeah, yeah, yeah. That was really some. But the other probably most amazing moment for me was as a coach, which was in Barcelona when Matt Ryan, who I'd been helping with his jumping, won the gold medal, individual gold medal, and a team gold medal for Australia in the Olympics. And this was and Matt's horse in his previous two three-day events had had four and five rails down. He came into the ring in Barcelona. He had, I think he had two rails to keep his individual gold medal in hand. But what, fortunately, the, the, um, Wayne, is the, he was the main coach and Ian Greenshields, the chef to keep, had not told mm-hmm. us was that we had one rail in hand to win the team gold medal which was a good thing they didn't tell us because they it would have put more pressure on Matt. Sure, I'd sure. I don't know, able to say to Matt, Matt, you've got another rail because the German guide had a rail down mm-hmm. um, prior to him going in the ring. And I said, Matt, you've got two rails in hand. It might have even been three. I said, you know, you can just relax, stick to the plan, you know, do your thing. And blow me down, he, he jumped around with just one rail down. So it was individual gold and team gold. That was oh, a hell of a moment. Hell of a moment, mm-hmm. yeah. And specifically, you know that as a show jumping coach, it was the training that you'd done, you know, with the rails that achieved that. That was specifically that your training that did that. Look, any good jumping coach could have done the same thing. I'm sure we, you know, it was it was sort of pretty basic stuff. And he wasn't the most careful horse TikTok, but we sort of, you know, we managed to put a few things in place and just training techniques. And Matt was a little inclined to want to always try and help him off the fence and keep him away and the horse, he'd start to aim at them, you know, just throw his feet out. So I just had him riding, just daring him a little bit more, riding him a little deeper. It really changed the whole thing around and the horse started to actually back up and look after himself. Yeah, it was, yeah, there were, there were, there were several things, but that was the main thing. Good. All right. Vicky, what does the future hold for you now? What are, what are your plans, you know, over the next year, two years, five, ten years? What, what are you planning doing in the future? Oh, look, I'm still enjoying my riding and competing. I've not three weeks ago I had a hip replacement because it's been bothering me for quite a while, and I was sort of inspired because Nick Skelton, who won the gold medal at Rio last year, you had a hip replacement, as did uh, Michelle Robert, one of the great French riders. I think he might have had a double hip replacement. So I said, okay. Not going to stop me riding. That's good. <laughs> so, so I've had this done, and I'm just waiting for this to heal up as we speak. Yep. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to. Look, I I don't have any international ambitions. Put it that way. I've sort of been there and done that. You know, I've been very fortunate in that. I really just enjoy now competing the horses I have, and I have a couple of wonderful horses still to compete at a high level: Congo and Said and Dynamite Bay. 
but I also breed and produce a lot of young horses now, which I've done all my life, but I get so much pleasure out of that and more so now because that's sort of where my ambitions now is just to produce the horses and riders and I've got, you know, several good young riders that I coach and that, that also gives me a lot of satisfaction. That's great. All right. Now, what I'd like to do is to have a lesson for today, you know, something that you can say to our listeners or say to the horse world that they can go away and think and go, right, you know, just a lesson that they can take away, whether it's a life lesson, a horse lesson. Look, you do always need eyes on the ground and whether it be a parent or a coach, but I I think, you know, they have got to select a good coach because, like I said, this sport is very hard to do by yourself and, we can fall into so many bad habits and the horse I emphasize to people the horse you know horses we think they're very intelligent they're not they're not very bright at all (laughs) they're not even (laughs) as smart as dogs we can't teach a horse to sit or house train a horse so they're not very bright they have long memories so you have to be able to work with that you have to be able to think like a horse to ride a horse well and the joy of the sport is working with this other mind even though it's not very bright. They have these amazing characters, which, you know, we equate to intelligence, but they've got, you know, just as much characters. They vary as much as people do. So, you know, it's really being able to be guided in the right direction. That doesn't mean you have to go and have someone every day or every week. You know, as long as you get some eyes on the ground every every so often, every, you know, every couple of weeks who can, you know, keep you on the straight and narrow, especially if, you're sort of running into a few issues. Oh, that's great, Vicky. All right. Now, look, um, if the listeners would like to contact you, is it okay if I put your contact details just on the footnotes? And I'd like to thank you very much, and I'm sure the listeners will too. Thank you. Look, my pleasure. Thank you very much for asking me. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate, and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government-accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below 